Hey, let me sh- take you through some words of a song. I won't sing to you. It's the quickest way to empty a church. Okay, but I'll read the words to you. Okay, these are by Don Francisco. I don't know if any of you guys listen to him, an American singer-writer, fabulous, uh, just puts together Bible stories in song. And he writes these words. Uh, these are an introduction to his song. And he says this, I have hope that though today I didn't live up to what God wanted me to be, that he is able one day to cause me to do that, to live that way. That's going to happen. And you know, no matter how many times you blow it, no matter how many times you just fall on your face, know that he's, gonna, he's not going to forsake you. That sometimes in spite of you, sometimes in spite of me, he's going to complete the work that he began in you when he saved you. And he's going to present you before the Father, righteous and holy and full of his faith and his hope and his love. And he goes on then to sing his song. It's lovely. You can catch it on YouTube. It's called I'll Never Let Go of Your Hand. And it starts like this. I know what you've been hearing. I've seen you hide your fear. Embarrassed by your weaknesses. Afraid to let me near. I wish you knew how much I long for you to understand. No matter what may happen, child, I'll never let go of your hand. They're beautiful words. It's a beautiful song. A reminder about how God responds to us, what God thinks of us, how God looks at us. It's, some, it's where we're going today. Let me ask you this. What do we base our relationship on God upon? I mean, what makes us feel accepted? I mean, what kind of week we've had? How well we're doing in our Bible reading plan? How many services we've attended this last week? Uh, how many sins I've managed to avoid? I wonder, you know, what, you know, on what do we base our ongoing relationship with God? Have you ever, have you ever asked yourself that question? I want to suggest, friends, that Whatever view of God we have, that most of us are missing the real picture and image of God that Scripture scripture paints. Here's what Keller says. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, writes these words. Through this parable, Jesus challenges what nearly everyone has ever thought about God. Hey, I mean, be ready. Really, seriously. And I hope so, certainly, that whatever we've thought of God before now, before today, that in some measure at least, our thinking will be redefined. Think about when we think about God and theology, we can't define it by our views. You know, if you knock on someone's door, and we do that as a church sometimes, I might knock on your door, okay? Uh, if you see me, don't open it, okay? Uh, you, know, you know, people imagine, make up God. The only thing we can know about God, it came up in a Bible study home group this week, is what God has revealed to us. And what I want to do with you now, as we look at the second part of the prodigal son, as we look at the father, is to see the image that's been painted for us. I mean, who's painting this image? Who's the artist here? Who's telling the story? It's Jesus. 
he ought to know what his father's like. Yeah? And so I want, I want to show you, I want us to see together the portrait that Jesus paints of his father. So last week we had our first setting as we were looking at the young man. God heartily welcomes back his son. Now today as we look at the father, here's the second point and what we'll working through today. Jesus reveals the incomprehensibly loving heart of God. You hear that? Jesus reveals the incomprehensibly loving heart of God. So far, the, the young man has, he's a teenager. He's demanded his father's assets. His father had to sell the property to do that. He's walked out on him and he's wasted everything he's had on living it up. And he's now finally faced rock bottom. He's on the brink of death. He's thought of an apology, a way of going back to his father. He can't be sure if his father will have him back, but he's thought of an apology. And his, and his idea, his great plan is that he could work for his father free of charge to try and pay back a measure of what he's abused and wasted. And so verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. Now Jesus doesn't give us all the details in his parable. It certainly gives us enough. We have no idea of time travel, time traveled. We're told it's a distant place. So no doubt this could have been a journey of many days. And so you can imagine on the long journey back how many times he must have been thinking about Going back. How many times? I mean, what father in his right mind would have him back? We'll see a bit more of what he's done to him a bit later. But what father in his right mind would have him back? And so eventually, his forlorn figure appears. It would seem over the horizon. And no doubt, you know, you can, you know when you look at somebody's child, you can always tell who they belong to because they capture some of their... Uh, movements, don't they? No doubt that the father can see something of himself in this fallen figure in the distance. And we're told that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. This line of text is got highlighted there for you in yellow. I want you to look at it with me. I want to suggest, friends, that that line of text is perhaps one of the most powerful verses in all of scripture look at it again perhaps one of the most powerful verses in all of scripture the father longs to have the son back can you see the son who's humiliated him the son who's walked out on him can you see what jesus is communicating here is a picture of his father his own father god What's he communicating? We're told, aren't we? We're told that he sees him from afar. He recognizes him, which tells us what has the father been doing. Let's go back to the, the parable. The father sees him from afar. In order for him to see him from afar, what has he been doing? He's been looking for him. Absolutely. He's been looking for him. He's been watching for him, perhaps searching for him, perhaps for many, many months, or even years. Okay? And so if Jesus is telling this story and he is of his own father, 
Can you see the image of God that he's beginning to paint for us? I want you to consider for a moment uh, this. Uh, when do you think his father began looking for him? The very moment. I think that's how we're meant to read the text. Can you see that? That the very moment this man walked out of his father's life, having humiliated him, at that moment the father longed for him to have him back. Regardless of what he'd done, his father couldn't stop loving his son. So the picture of the prodigal, I think it, it, I think it pictures for us those who stray from God, those who have gone to a distant country, those who once knew something of God perhaps, those who have gone away. And here's what he says about the father. No matter what we've done or where we've gone, he doesn't hold our sin against us. And I'm going to elaborate that later. He doesn't hold our Ill rebellion against us. His heart is always full of love towards those who are straying from the faith. No matter what the sin, no matter how deep the sin, no matter what we've done, when God looks upon a Christian who's struggling in their faith, when God looks upon someone who's made a pro genuine profession of faith and is now in a distant land, struggling with sin, when God looks at you, He's not angry. No matter what you've done or how far you've fallen, Jesus is painting a picture of a God who is not angry with you. He's not waiting to pounce on you when you return. No, 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 no. Friends, God, when he looks at you, wherever you are on your Christian journey, he's not angry with you, he's not full of rage, he's not waiting to whip you at the first opportunity. Instead, it's actually what Jesus is saying to people who are far from God, who are once in relationship, far from him, that he loves you. He's filled with compassion and grace and that his love for you never ends. This is what he says in James. James tells us something about the response of God towards his people. And these are his words, James 5.11. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. How much? I mean, how far can we push that compassion and mercy? Can you see Jesus' picture here? I mean, how far has this young man pushed his father's compassion and mercy? And yet he loves him. He's robbed his father of his wealth, of his property, of his name. I mean, I mean look, names aren't that important here, you know, uh, to us, I suppose. But, you know, in that culture, your name in that community, you know, it, it's, it's what counts the most. Just think of what he's done to his reputation in full view. I mean, it's not one of those things that you can hide, is it? You know, like, where's Jack? Oh, he's just gone into town. Where's Jack the next day? Oh, he's in town. Where's Jack? I mean, it's one of those things you can't hide. This is public humiliation of his father. It's a tremendous insult. And so I think one of the things Jesus is doing here is painting 
the, the color of sin, the gravity and weight of it, it's, it's, it's something that hurts, is ugly. And rightly, the, the Pharisees, we're going to look at the Pharisees next week. We're going to get there. They were expecting Jesus. How do you, let me ask, how do you think the Pharisees expected Jesus to respond to terrible people, sinful people, coming to him or returning to him? Well, judgment. And yet, Jesus paints a picture of a God who's longing for the return of the backslidden, who's waiting for those who've gone away from him. And even before, I'm going to show you this now, even before there's an ounce of contrition or remorse. Look at this. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. If he's been looking for his son from day one, which is the most probable conclusion, he's taken his son, perhaps he is to come to the place of repentance. What does that tell us about God's love for us even when we are outside of or beyond remorse and repentance and contrition? What does that tell us about his love even before we arrive there? It's, it's long suffering. It continues. It doesn't end. You see, his father, even before he rehearsed his apology, even before he made it up, he was already waiting, loving, expecting hoping for his return. God's love operates in a sphere that is outside of and greater than even our apologies for sin. Notice the emotion. Notice the emotion. The joy that the father displays. He ran to his son. I used to be good at running. Back and forth, left to right and center in this building on a Sunday morning. <laughs> up until a little wee accident, okay? And then I've discovered I could actually walk slowly from one side of the room to the other, okay? Uh, and somebody else could put the boards outside <laughs> uh, there. Okay, look, running, it's okay. It's okay for an adult to run here. Look, back in that culture, if you're a woman, you could run. If you're a young kid, you could run. If you were a dignified member of the community... Can't see any. If you were a dignified member, George, if you're a dignified member of the community, you wouldn't run. It was humiliating. Okay? You wouldn't run. You, you, you would conduct yourself in a manner that was, that was accepted in that environment. Can you see what this is saying about this father? See, this running, let me ask, it's not as though he'd rehearsed this, okay? I'm going to sit here and little Jack will come out the, over the brow of the hill and when I see him and he's been training, you see, I'm going I'm to I'm run, okay? I, I can get there to the, to the horizon in about 15 minutes at a steady pace, okay? It's not what's going on here, is it? This is not rehearsed. This running is spontaneous. He's not thinking of his reputation because that's the last thing on his mind. The only thing that's going through his mind is his son. And here he is with no care for himself, spontaneously responding to this young man. Can you see the picture he paints for us? Look, it tells us something about the spontaneity of love. It's not, it's not an organized activity. It's not something that was planned. It's something that flows from the overflow of emotion and affection 
someone feels. If you look at the previous two parables, remember Jesus is telling three parables to tell the same story. In the first one, the lost sheep, he explains that when the lost sheep is found, can you see the response of the one who lost the sheep? It's joyful, okay? Not misery, joyful in the lost coin. Okay, similar theme. The second of the three parables, when she finds a coin, she brings all her friends together and she says, rejoice. Can you see that? Jesus is portraying, okay, a God whose love doesn't have width or breadth or depth. In other words, there's no, there's no extremities or limitations. It's, it's something that goes beyond into jubilation, celebration, okay, happiness, joy, and cares nothing for self. Notice when he gets to him, he throws his arms around him and kisses him. You know, that's not such a bad thing to do if your kid has just had a bath. But what's this guy been doing? But what was he doing? He was looking after pigs in abject poverty, starving. What would he be thinking of? Well, I'll tell you what he wasn't thinking of. He wasn't thinking of live jazz, okay, ultraviolet, or what's the other one I've got? Um, uh, Lynx. Okay, so they're some of the ones I used to try and mask my stink. Okay, yeah, but when I grew up, it used to be Old Spice. Yeah, and Brut. Do you, do you remember? I mean, who's, old, who's, who's as old as me? Do you remember Old Spice and Brut? Or Brut? I can't remember, even remember how to pronounce it. Look, okay, look, I use those to cover up my stink. This guy is just coming as he is. Okay? He stunk of pigs. You see, in Jewish culture, you, you, the, one of the worst swear words you could have and use for people you dislike the most was pig. You pig. I mean, it's not so bad here, is it? I mean, we use it comically. But it was a horrible term. And here is a Jewish father embracing and kissing, making, making lip contact. I think that's the purpose here. Making lip contact. Speaks of heartfelt affection. With someone who stunk like an enemy. Here's what a commentator says. Uh, the, the last verb is a Greek word, kataphilisim, okay? It may mean kissed, kissed him many times or kissed him tenderly. Here's a man who's utterly revolting. That's the condition that Jesus paints him. He stinks, okay? Tells you what sin does to us. And yet, in utter incomprehensible love, the father of this guy runs and embraces him, not begrudgingly, lovingly. He kisses him, perhaps over and over, tenderly. Gently, as a mark of deepest affection. Notice, we mentioned this earlier, but I'll elaborate a bit further. Notice the son's apology. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven and against earth. Well, against heaven and against you. And in verse 22, what does the father do in verse 22? You just have a look at this. He's giving his rehearsed apology, his contrition, his brokenness. 
but his father, but, 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 can you see what's going on here? His father is, you know, you know, sometimes you're trying to have a conversation. You know these people, don't you? I may be one of them, you know, and they're always butting in. You know, you, never, you haven't even finished your sentence and, and they're butting in. Can you see what's going on here? He's trying to give his apology. Look, I am really, really sorry. Look, I, I'm, I've been a terrible guy. But his father, verse 22, cuts in on him. It's important to the story. He cuts in on him. Okay, he doesn't wait for him to finish. His, his father knows full well what's going on here. There was no way that he was going to return without contrition in his heart, without humiliation. He knows that already, you see. And besides, we've already said, when did he start waiting for his return? Before the contrition, before the brokenness, before an apology was assembled, before the son had understood the gravity of his actions. And so in verse 22, but, says the father, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Can you see what, what he's doing here? What's going on here? He's reinstating him. That's the point. He's reinstating him. Here's what Keller writes. By bringing the younger brother back into the family, he's made him an heir again. Look at the cost of this reinstating. He's made him an heir again with a claim to one-third of their now very diminished family wealth. Can you see what he's doing? He's bringing him back on what terms? What terms is he bringing his son back? Remember, this guy has humiliated him, robbed him, wasted his money. On what terms is he bringing him back? He doesn't come back as a servant with diminished rights or a little or no pay, but he comes back as a full heir, ready to pick up on his one-third all over again. Jesus' point is that the return of those who have strayed from God, the return of those who have backslidden, the return of those who have wandered off, the return of those who return to God comes with a full pardon and a full reinstatement. We don't go back to we don't go to the back of the queue. We don't sit in the naughty chair. We don't have benefits withheld. We come back and we pick up pick up says Jesus exactly where we left off as full sons again. And so in order to establish uh, the reinstatement of his son back into the family. The father throws a, throws a feast. Look, bring the fattened calf and kill it. I mean, this is the prized possession. This was the fattened calf. You didn't, have, you didn't have ten of these. You had one of these. You kept it for your best occasion, okay? Listen to this. this is what a commentator writes. Fatted calves were saved for special occasions, like the Day of Atonement. This is not just any party. It's a rare and complete celebration. It's a public declaration of, the Father is saying, this is a public statement of, this is my son. Can you see what he's doing? He wants every member of the community to know. Have you, have you, 
Can you imagine the humiliation? Because what's Tony and Elizabeth and Daniel thinking about the Father? What kind of mug is this? Who would do that? Who would have him back? But the statement he makes is that his back is my son and he is an heir of my property. Jesus reveals the incomprehensibly loving heart of God. That's as far as we're going today. Uh, if you want more, you're going to have to come back next week. Okay? <laughs> okay. But I want, I, want to, I want to just apply this to us. I want us to put ourselves, look, wherever you are on your Christian journey, I want, us, I want us just to put ourselves for a moment in this guy's shoes. Okay? Whatever we, we may be in, whether or not we've fallen this far or how far we've fallen, just to put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Look, here's, here's an absolute truth, an attendance of Scripture, an immovable tenant of Scripture, a bit like this thing. You know, when he moves there, it's got to come back here, okay? Because I get disorientated, and I get disorientated very easily, okay? Especially having traveled 10,000 miles to get here, okay? Right, so look, here's an immovable thing in Scripture. Isaiah 6.3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. There are many places in both Old and New Testament where God's holiness is revealed and his judgment on sin. It's absolutely clear. However, if we misread Scripture... We can read all that and be left with a caricature of God where we only see him as a grumpy, angry old man ready to lash out at us the minute we step out of line. Isn't that how many of us have seen him? Let me tell you about Mr. Black, my head teacher. You call them principals, don't you, over here? Uh, I, don't, I don't know why, when people left the motherland, why they didn't just bring the language with them? It would have been easier. <laughs> okay? So, <laughs> it's been a long time. Okay, 300 years, was it 200 years? Look, so look, look, Mr. Black, my head teacher, he, everybody feared him, really. He used to walk around with a, with a real serious demeanor. You wouldn't... You didn't want to get on the wrong side of Mr. Black. Me and a bunch of my mates did once. And look, it's a crazy thing. Uh, so my mate had a firework, a rocket, and he decides to launch it in the classroom. <laughs> so the doors, the doors are open, right? We're sitting back here, and he's like, shall I do it? Shall I do it? This is a pottery class. So the teachers are busy with his pottery, and, and me especially. Not that I'll be like this normally. Go on, go on, Tony. Go on, go on, do it, do it, because he's not looking. Go on, I dare you. So eventually he launches his fire, this rocket out the classroom, across the courtyard, to the school. Obviously the teacher turned around and heard it, saw it. Boy, that was bad. <laughs> okay, seriously bad. We'd all see Mr. Black. And we knew what was coming. These are the good old days. You know, the ones we've lost. That's why the kids are so unruly. Okay, it was the day of the cane. Okay, and we knew what was coming. And so here's me thinking... You know, how am I going to manage? I've got, a, I've got a quite a soft, you know, flesh, you know, you know, coming from, you know, from England. 
And so, oh no, if I put put a book down my trousers, (laughs) it might not hurt so much. Okay, so I'm working through it. How am I going to, you know, how am I going to lessen the pain of this cane? And fortunately, only, I forget his name, only the the chap who did it got the cane. We managed to kind of just get away with detention or whatever for a few weeks. But look, if you got on the wrong side of Mr. Black, oh, you were going to get caned. Big time. And it worked. That's why they did it. It worked. Because you, were, you thought twice before you launched another firework from class. Many of us see God as Mr. Black. As an angry old man, miserable and looking to take a swipe at us at the first sin. And I want to say, if that's your view of God, if that is my view of God, and you know sometimes confessions, 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 okay? I've sometimes seen God like that. Let me say this, if that's how you see God, if that's how I see God, because we don't know him it's because we don't know him and Jesus is exactly that again one of the one of the real powerful one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible John 17 25 righteous father the world does not know you there's never been a, a sadder verse written Righteous Father, the world does not know you. Look, we may think he's all wrath, all fire, all brimstone. Mr. Black. It's because we don't know him. In fact, if that's how we think he is, we may not even be in relationship with him. Jesus' image of the Father, the Father that he knows. Remember, the reason Jesus can speak so graphically, the reason Jesus is qualified to paint this picture is because he knows him. He's existed alongside him. How long for? All of eternity. There is nobody in all of the universe that knows the Father If there's ever anyone who's qualified to give us an image of God, it's Jesus. And the one he paints, friend, the one he he paints in 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 this parable and the one he paints in his ministry, look at his words in John 3, 16. This is a painting of God. For God so loved. That's not like. The three Greek words for love, okay? Okay? And they're words for love. It's, and, and it's not the word for like. It's not the word for accommodate. It's not the word for acceptance. It's love. Okay, we've only got one word translated, love. It's everything you know and think it is without the lost. Okay? For God so loved the world, says Jesus. Do you want to know what God is like? Listen to Jesus. Okay, look at his painting. For God so loved the world. And in John 1, John 4, the wedding verse, 
What do we learn about him? He is holy. He is absolutely holy. But God is also, God is love. And we must never play one against the other. He's a very personification of love. He defines love. He's the plumb line of love. And the only reason we know anything about love because he's the measure of love. He's the authenticator of love. And Jesus, who is the personification of God, reveals him to us. Remember, just look at his ministry. What he was like with tax collectors, despised people. What he was like with prostitutes, despised people. What he was like with adulterers, despised people. What he was like with persecutors of his church. Paul! Despised people. Remember the woman caught in adultery? That means she, they were in, in the act of committing the gravest sexual sin. Remember what Jesus did with her? He had a stone. Didn't he? He didn't. He loved her. You read the story. He loved her. See, friends, it is true that sin erects a barrier between us and God and has severe consequences, Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. But, at the next verse, please, Ali. But, what, what does Scripture tell us? See, that is objectively true. But, what do we get here? But, God demonstrates his own love for us. In this, when did the father start waiting for the son? Before the repentance. While we were still sinners. Ever before we had an ounce of interest, ever before we thought of an apology, ever before we considered the gravity of our circumstances, before you were born. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us, loved us, acted on our behalf. He made provision for our sins, the cross and he atoned for our sin. Let me ask you. This is what we mustn't miss. When Jesus atoned, Romans 3, propitiated our sins. How many sins did he atone for? How many? Every single sin, George, you will ever commit. Ever. Ever. Did you ever forget that? Did you ever forget that? Here's Jeremiah 31 3. I have loved you, says God. Speaking to Israel, speaking of his covenant people, the church now. I have loved you with an everlasting love. You see, he never began loving you, he will never stop loving you. 
there will never be an interruption to his love. He has loved you full stop. Michael Card in a song we write, writes these words, he cannot love more and will not love less. He loves us with passion without regret. So let me say this to you. Look, my time is running out. Let me just say this to you. Look, let me get really close to the bone here. Do you really think that your struggle with porn has come between God's love and you? Do you really think that your crime, murder or otherwise, or whatever it may be, has come between God's love and you? Do you really think your divorce has come between God's love for you and you? Do you think that your years of, of haphazard church attendance has come between God's love and you? You see, whatever sin you've committed, whatever amount of years you've wasted, whatever you've done with God's gift, wherever you are, whatever your present state, however deeply you've fallen, if you've been God's, He loves you and He loves you and He loves you and He loves you and He loves you. While He was still a long way off, His Father saw Him and was filled with compassion for Him. Here's the last thing I want to say and then I'll wrap up. Christian, your standing before God in the same way as the prodigal has never been on performance. Never. Ever. Your standing with God has never been on performance. Because of God's love for you, Jesus came after you in your sin. He sought you before you sought him. He paid the price to redeem you. He's agonizing cross and so there is nothing that you can do to merit or increase his love okay there is nothing you can do that will increase the love he has for you and simultaneously there is nothing you can do that will decrease the love he has for you it neither increases nor decreases. It's a love that is perpetually constant. God loves those who are His. If you profess faith in Him, and wherever you are since that day, you can be certain of His unrelenting love. And so He promises you these words. The last scripture I'll quote this morning, Hebrews 13, verse 5. Never, never. Thank you. It's the last one, Ali. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Let me ask you, who here, if their son or daughter gets wrapped up in the grossest immoral conduct or criminal activity, will stop loving them and walk out on them. Who, who, what father, what mother, who would do that? Would you, Tracy? No matter what your kids do, no matter what they do, you'll never give up on them. Jesus wants you to know, friends, and this is why he paints this picture, one of the reasons. No matter how far you go, or what you do, or the depth to which you fall, 
never, never leave you, forsake you, stop loving you, and will forever wait for your return. And you will return. Another subject. His love will ensure he brings you back home. You're loved. Take that away with you tonight, today. You're loved with an everlasting love.